Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And I love building those same game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio. So use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. Call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Call 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week. We have a jam-packed show today. We're going to be hitting Kings, Suns, Clippers, Warriors, and a game from Monday night that we didn't hit. The Minnesota Timberwolves getting a big win on the road over the Dallas 
Mavericks. Also, in case you missed it last night, I went on with the great Colin Cowherd and we hit a bunch of big picture topics around the NBA. You can find that on my podcast feed, his podcast feed, as well as on the Volumes YouTube channel. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And last but not least, if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, remember you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops tonight. And lastly, before we talk about uh, some basketball, I've been I always go through the YouTube comments because that's a good place for you guys to give feedback for the show as well as to offer your guys' basketball takes, which I often learn things from. And I've seen a lot of feedback from you guys asking us to cover other teams other than the Lakers and the Warriors. So first of all, we do. They're just typically in the back half of the show, but I wanted to take this example just to kind of explain the format. So I've been out of town a lot the last couple of weeks on ski trips. And so when I'm on vacation, I'm not doing game breakdowns. I'm only working when we have like some sort of major basketball event like Kyrie Irving demanding a trade or Kyrie Irving actually getting traded. But I'm in town now. I have one other ski trip in mid-April, but other than that, I'm in town basically the rest of the season. So we're going to have a much more normal cadence. Also, we just had the trade deadline. So obviously, we're going to be targeting the biggest trades of the deadline. And the biggest trades of the deadline were what the Suns did, but also what happened with the Warriors and the Gary Payton scandal with the Portland Trailblazers and the Los Angeles Lakers turning over their entire their entire team. So obviously, that's going to affect things. And we're also heading into the All-Star break right now. So like, I've got this show, I've got one more show tomorrow, we're going to be breaking down a bunch of games from Wednesday night, but then we don't have any basketball for a little over a week. So it's a little bit of a weird stretch, but our normal cadence, you know, on every show, we're breaking down four or five games, and yes, I have to hit the Lakers and the Warriors, they're our biggest fan bases. This is, we've got bills to pay, and obviously that's the best way for us to grow the show. We're going to continue to hit those teams, but we're also going to hit all of the other playoff teams around the league. And our YouTube team works really hard to parse things out and to put in chapters. So if you're sick of hearing Lakers and Warriors stuff, just skip those chapters and you can get to the other teams. And most importantly, during the playoffs, we will literally be covering every single game from every single team throughout the entire playoff run. So I do appreciate the feedback and I understand where you guys are coming from. I just wanted to clarify that stuff just so you guys know moving forward um, how to best get to the content that you guys want to see. All right, so let's talk some basketball. Today we're starting with King's Suns. So the Suns won 120 to 109. Uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Drayton combined for 61 points. They really took control of this game in the third quarter. Sacramento hung tough uh, for a half or so. Uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker were both awesome in the third quarter. Chris Paul had five assists. Devin Booker had 10 points. And what I thought was one of the big swing factors in the third quarter, uh, third quarter of this game was Josh Okoji in his on-ball defense on De'Aaron Fox did a really nice job containing him with physicality so De'Aaron Fox couldn't turn the corner, which turned him into a jump shooter in that quarter, and he contested those jump shots really well, and he missed mo- most of them, which was a big part of how Phoenix got going defensively. You know, when I was on with Colin Coward last night, I talked about how, of all the serious playoff teams, Phoenix probably has the worst point-of-attack defense. Now, they have every other box checked extremely well, except for maybe some forward physicality stuff, but they they don't defend on the ball very well. Uh, it's just a matter of personnel. And so when we're looking at their lineups, 
especially when you're looking at their core lineup of Chris Paul, Devin Booker, KD, and DeAndre Ayton. Josh Okoji makes a lot of sense to me in that fifth spot, essentially as your lead point of attack defender. Point of attack defense is super important, and it's something that coaches play a, pay a ton of attention to. And the main reason why is whoever that team's primary ball handler is, whoever the opponent's primary ball handler, the guy who's going to run the most pick and rolls, He's arguably the most important piece to that team's offense over the course of that night. The reason why is if he can consistently warp the defense by getting downhill or pulling guys out with this pull-up jump shooting, it puts your defense in rotation the entire night, which makes it a lot easier for the other four offensive players on the floor. And it's an extremely difficult job. And so you don't want to ask your lead ball handlers on your team to take that job. You would prefer to have somebody that's in a smaller role offensively that can devote their resources to containing the basketball on the defensive end of the floor. Now, I expect them to go with Tory Craig. Uh, it's just been the guy that they've gone to in that spot for the most part this season, and he does a lot of things for them uh, uh, as a spot-up player and also crashing the offensive glass, but not as good of a point-of-attack defender as Josh Koji. So I'd be really interested to see if, even if they don't start with him, if they end up going with him in their crunch time lineups as the guy that they put on the basketball. Um, The other thing that really stood out to me in this game is just in terms of the energy of the team, they look reinvigorated by the Kevin Durant trade. Uh, Both Devin Booker and Chris Paul looked like they had a newfound energy. Chris Paul in particular was playing with a ton of energy. And when when that, that, that just... Like especially in the middle of the the slogs of the NBA season, that sort of thing can really help you lead to wins. And even DeAndre Ayton is playing some of his best basketball of the season right now. He's averaging 24 points and 8 rebounds with 2 blocks per game over the course of his last 2 games. He was really, really good uh, over his last 3 games, I should say. Um, he's been really, really good in the last 2 against Indiana and Sacramento. And just watching them last night... I continue to be super intrigued by the potential, the basketball potential of the Kevin Durant fit. In that third quarter against, uh, um, in that third quarter against Sacramento, Phoenix was running a ton of cleared side pick and roll. So that means they get the shooter out of the strong side corner and they'll have Chris Paul start lower, usually down like almost by the free throw line extended. And then they'll have Aiton come set the screen so that if Aiton does roll to the rim, or they ice the coverage and force uh, Chris Paul towards the baseline, he's got more room to operate there. And uh, Sacramento was having a lot of trouble containing Chris Paul and Aiton in that action, and so they started bringing a third defender over. They were essentially using what's called a catch hedge on Chris Paul as he was coming off the ball screen. What that means is the big's not trapping, he's not showing, but he's ignoring the roll man to come high enough that he's essentially a soft double team on the ball while whoever's guarding Chris Paul is chasing over the top. Then they bring that third defender over to tag the roll man. And as a result, that weak side a kick pass to Torrey Craig was wide open the entire third quarter. And so the way I look at it is if you it, it kind of triggers a four-on-three, right? Like let's say KD's out there. Uh, they'll probably, in that case, ignore Tory Craig or, or Josh Okoji, whoever that fifth guy is. But as soon as that kick pass is made you know, that whoever that fifth guy is has an opportunity to quickly start a four on three, either by doing a quick dribble handoff to whoever else is on that wing or by driving the closeout and making another kick out. I get super excited about those four on three situations with Kevin Durant in the mix, because now if Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton are running that action and it gets to that kick out, the guys running that four on three are literally uh, uh, Kevin Durant with 
um, Devin Booker and Josh Okoji with DeAndre Ayton pinned on a smaller defender under the basket. So they're going to be able to get a lot of really good stuff about uh, out of that. And then I'm also excited to see Kevin Durant actually have the ball in his hands starting these pick and rolls with that same dynamic with Chris Paul and Devin Booker on the back end. Uh, we're not going to have to wait much longer to see it because the Suns have one more matchup with the Clippers on Thursday before we get into the All-Star break. And Kevin Durant is reportedly going to return at that point. All right, moving on to Warriors-Clippers. This was a nice win for the Clippers over an undermanned Warriors team. Steph and Andrew Wiggins both took uh, were both out. Andrew Wiggins took the night off for personal reasons, and obviously Steph is still rehabbing the knee injury. But that's arguably their two best players. And the core Warriors guys actually hung really tough in this game. But you, gotta, you got to see a great example of the gap in bench talent between these two teams. So the Warriors ended up taking a brief lead in the third quarter after Steph, or excuse me, after Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole caught a heater. Clay had a really nice ISO one-leg fadeaway against Paul George at the free throw line. Then Jordan Poole got downhill and drew a foul driving to the rim. Um, then Jordan Poole hit back-to-back threes. And then Clay Thompson hit a transition three, got a lucky bounce off of the right wing. Suddenly the Warriors had a lead. Uh, but then from there, both teams went to their bench and these were literally the lineups. So the Clippers were going with Bones Highland, Norman Powell, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, and Mason Plumley, And the Warriors went with Ty Jerome, Anthony Lamb, Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, and Jamichael Green. Three of those guys you'd hope to not have in your playoff rotation. And, you know, Jonathan Kaminga is going to be more of a matchup-dependent guy when they get to the postseason, right? So just from a personnel standpoint, they were completely overmatched. That group did okay in the first half, really struggled in the third quarter. And next thing you know, early fourth quarter, they're already down 18 points, and the game was over. Now, part of this is a regular season problem. Like, the Clippers have always had a ton of depth. And that's the kind of thing that's bought them the margin for error to be able to rest Kawhi Leonard and to rest Paul George when they're dealing with nagging injuries. Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, during those regular season stretches, that depth can help. But then you get to the postseason and the dynamic changes, right? Like if Steph Curry and Andrew Wiggins are available and everybody in the core of Warriors groups is playing 36 plus minutes, there's going to be a lot more overlap with the bench groups. You know, Ty Jerome's not going to play, you know, Anthony Lamb and Jonathan Kaminga might play based on, you know, what the matchup is and which guy Steve Kerr trusts. But um, you know, Ty Jerome's not going to play. Gary Payton's going to be getting in there for a bunch of those minutes. So then all of a sudden it works out okay. But what you see is that in mid-February, when guys are out of the lineup for injuries and for personal reasons, that depth is going to be a problem and the Clippers won a game off of that last night. So credit to the Clippers for building a roster that buys them a lot of margin for error during these stretches of the season. One last quick note on the Warriors before we move on. Uh, there was a quote uh, from Draymond Green that was going around yesterday talking about defense. And he said, quote, it has to come from within. Defense is all about will, a want to defend. Defense is not fun. You've just got to do it if you want to win, and we haven't, end quote. So first of all, he's absolutely right fundamentally about defense. The Warriors are actually my favorite example in this modern era of NBA history of the fact that defense is about will and about caring and wanting to do so. Just look at their core lineups. Like the Warriors have had outstanding, you know, at defensive talents over the years, right? Like Andre Iguodala has been one of the best wing defenders in the league for a long time. Um, you know, Kevin Durant obviously brought a, a, a huge element of, of, of uh, physical tools to the defensive end of the floor, but the other core guys in that group, they're, they're really um, examples 
of not having those physical tools, but becoming great defensive players by the strength of their will. Like Draymond Green's the best example of it. Like Draymond Green is my height. He's six foot six. Now he does have a really good wingspan and he's very strong, but he the the way that he impacts games defensively is up here. He's got an outstanding basketball IQ and his ability to sift out plays, but also he has poured his heart and soul into that side of the floor every single day and carved out not just a place in the league, but a place, you know, a, a place in the higher echelons of the league. Draymond Green's made a second team all NBA in his career and he's in my opinion one of the top 3 defensive players in the league without being Rudy Gobert or Anthony Davis or Bam Adebayo, guys that have significantly better physical tools at that position. Clay Thompson, not the best athlete in the world, decent size, six foot seven. He's got some tools, right? He's six foot seven. He's big and strong. You need a baseline of physical tools, like even Steph at six foot three. It's not like he's John Morant, you know, 175 pounds and just can get shoved around everywhere on the floor. They have a baseline of physical tools, but compared to other NBA athletes, they don't have that type of physicality. Clay is not as athletic as most 6'7 wings in the league, but he, once again, commitment to the details, high basketball IQ, putting in the effort and focus, sliding his feet really well, anticipating changes of direction and taking contact in the chest and contesting shots. Same thing with Steph. And even with Kevon Looney, who compared to most centers in the NBA, isn't the best athlete or the biggest center that they have in the league. So the Warriors kind of represent that take that Draymond has that, that, you know, defense is about heart and that defense is about uh, commitment to those details. There's a lot of guys in the league that have similar physical tools that never panned out. How many times have we seen guys who tried to be Draymond or I should say GMs who draft guys. Remember Guerson Yabustele from, uh, from the Celtics. They used to call him French Draymond. It's like, actually it turns out that just because you're stocky and six, six and, and uh, um, you know, a decent athlete, that doesn't mean that you can suddenly be a great defensive player. You need to, you need to uh, be what Draymond is, which is an anomaly at that position. Um, but the reality is, and the reason why Draymond said this, is a, a lot of that fire has been missing this season. Now, to be clear, the starters have been outstanding. So we talked about this last night, but the, the best start, the best five-man lineup in the league is still Kevon Looney, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Andrew Wiggins. That team, that group is outscoring teams by 22 points per 100 possessions. They've been really good defensively. They have a defensive rating of 106, which is really good. So that group's been doing fine, but... Every other lineup that they have is struggling defensively, especially when Draymond is off the floor. When Draymond's off the floor, they're giving up 121 points per 100 possessions. And that's a big part of why they're 19th in defense through 58 games. Now, remember, my rules as it pertains to contenders. If you don't have an overwhelming talent advantage, and if you don't have a you know a significant injury that impacts your defense. So for instance, if like Draymond misses a bunch of time or if Anthony Davis misses a bunch of time, I'm not going to hold your team to that defensive rating standard. But if unless unless you're missing a defensive player for a significant a significant chunk or you're the KD Steph Warriors or the Shaq Kobe Lakers, unless you're one of those types of teams, you have to be a top 10 defense in the regular season by defensive rating, to have a chance to contend for a title. Now, the Warriors have 24 games left to demonstrate that they have that ceiling, and they need to shave about two points off their defensive rating to get into the top 10. What that means is they're going to need to defend at an extremely high level over the uh, final stretch of the season to prove that they still have that gear that they can get to. 
All right, moving on to Wolves-Mavs before we get out of here today. Uh, so the Wolves, this was on Monday night. The uh, I just covered a bunch of other games that night, so I didn't get around to this one. And at the time that I was prepping for the show, the Wolves were up big, and it was a blowout, so I wasn't going to get into it. Um, but the Wolves ended up winning 124-121, and, and the Mavericks actually had a chance to tie this uh, tie this game with a three at the end. And Minnesota opted not to foul and just played straight-up defense, and they played outstanding defense and actually forced a turnover, and Dallas couldn't even get a shot up. Um this was, first of all, this was the first example of the Mavs really struggling with a big physical team, which was something that I figured would be a problem for them immediately after the trade. You know, they, they're hurt on the front line with Maxi Kleba being out. They gave up their best 3 and D wing and, you know, contested rebound guy from the perimeter in, in uh, Dorian Finney-Smith. And you saw a lot of that kind of come home to roost last uh, on Monday night. They got manhandled on the glass. They got manhandled in the paint. They could not guard Anthony Edwards at the point of attack. Uh, when the Wolves went big with Rudy Gobert, they were plus 17 in this game. So there were there were a lot of issues that they had there. But then what happened was, is Kyrie Irving just went absolutely berserk in the fourth quarter, had 24 points, and got them back to, uh, to within having a chance to win. And then obviously, the Wolves got the big stop. So there's two things that I want to hit on here. <clears throat> First is Anthony Edwards. So before the season in my player rankings, I had him at 21 the 21st best player in the league. Now that was higher than most folks. And there were a couple of people who disagreed because I had him ahead of some, you know, more established guys like Chris Middleton or Bradley Beal, things like that. Um, I think I had him ahead of Donovan Mitchell as well. But, you know, I was super high on him after last year's playoffs. Like I love the size, that downhill physical power going towards the rim. And when you mix that with the way that he was shooting his pull-up jump shot at the end of the season last year, and his on-ball defense, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, I get really excited about that. Um, and obviously, Donovan Mitchell was coming off of a super disappointing playoff run, as you know, Bradley Beal missed the playoffs. Chris Middleton was hurt. There's a lot of reasons why I had him up as high as I did. Um, but like, I was just really bullish in general on Anthony Edwards and his skill set. Uh, but then he got off to a rough start this year. And I, I don't want to put too much of the blame on him because it was a really clunky lineup, and I was critical of that Minnesota Timberwolves offseason from the start. But putting him alongside D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert just was a really clunky fit. A lot of guys you want to have the ball, funky spacing. There were just a lot of reasons why that didn't work super well. Um, but in Anthony Edwards' last 31 games, he's averaging 27 points, 6 rebounds, and 5 assists on 58% true shooting. That is like legit second tier superstar level production his pull-up jump shots coming around too in his last 10 games he's shooting 40 percent on nine pull-up jump shots per game uh, but his defense is where I'm most excited you know one of the biggest things that excited me about Ant towards the end of last year is like he'd get in these on-ball defense possessions and he's so big and strong that when he would be a little bit handsy and physical and he slides his feet so well that the refs would give him the benefit of the doubt on a lot of those plays like guards would just be trapped in place and really struggle to get separation from him and I'm I, that's where I'd start to think like man like this guy has real two-way potential especially in a western conference that has so many great guards but you saw it on display at its absolute peak on Monday night against Kyrie Irving. So in the first eight and a half minutes of the fourth quarter, Kyrie has 21 points. He was as hot as I've ever seen him. And then over the last three and a half minutes, Anthony Edwards completely locked him down. Now there was one weird play 
uh, where Frank Nilakina missed a three and Josh Green got an offensive rebound and Anthony Edwards was leaking in to the to try to get a rebound as a long rebound. Uh, Josh Green shoveled it back to Kyrie Irving and he made a wide open three. But aside from that play, he literally could not even get separation from Anthony Edwards. And it basically like and it culminated with that final possession where Kyrie couldn't even get a shot off. But before that, there were a couple of possessions where Kyrie tried to get separation from Ant and just couldn't. Get to the middle of the floor, pump fakes, all this stuff, and Ant's just got him completely swallowed up with his size and his strength and his physicality. And that on-ball defense helped Minnesota win a game that they probably lose otherwise with the way that Kyrie was playing. And we've seen him ride those hot streaks to making big shots down the stretch and beating teams. He was pump faking at ghosts. I said ghosts. He was here in the footsteps of Anthony Edwards and pump faking at shots that he normally would take on that final possession. And that's a big part of why I'm so excited uh, about Ant's ceiling and why I think he's going to be a megastar in this league for a long time at some point in the near future. Last thing I want to talk about was the Mavs. Um, defense is obviously an, a, a big issue. Um, physical limitations will be a problem for this team throughout the rest of the season. They're going to have to address that in the offseason. But every time I've watched them play since the Kyrie trade, it's amazing how much of a breath of fresh air he is for that offense. Um, Luca plays a very slow style and you need to play that style for the record. That's how you win in the playoffs. The game slows down. You need half court surgeons. So I don't want to undercut what Luca is doing. That's an important part of their eventual playoff ceiling. Um, but there is a lot of advantages that come with pushing the pace. First of all, it helps you get easier shots before the defense gets set. We talk about this all the time on the show, but it also gets the crowd going. It's a fun brand of basketball. And when that when the crowd starts to feel that push of that transition up and down style, it in turn reinvigorates the players because they're feeding off the crowd and that breathes life into a basketball team. Like I think Kyrie single-handedly gave the Mavs a chance to win this game with the change of pace that he brought in that fourth quarter. Now they're going to need to figure some stuff out, especially with their give and take at the end of games. I didn't like that Luka took the game-tying shot in their previous game against Sacramento. I thought Kyrie had it going. It should have been in his hands. And then there was some overpassing on that final possession. Uh, Luca also didn't do a very good job sealing uh, Jaden McDaniels on that entry pass, which caused the whole play to break down from the start because Jaden McDaniels got a deflection. Luca needs to seal him so that it's a lot easier for that pass to come. Um, but they're going to figure that stuff out and it's going to be fine. And obviously, like I said, they've got to bolster the front court, but I love the natural basketball fit in the give and take in the, in the way that their differences complement each other. And I'm looking forward to watching them over a playoff run. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support. We will be back tomorrow morning for one final show before the all-star game. And that's going to be breaking down Wednesday night's uh, games. I'm not sure if we'll cover the All-Star game. It depends if it's interesting. The All-Star game is a total coin flip. It's either going to be close and the Elam ending is great and it'll be super interesting, in which case we'll do a show. If not, then we'll probably take the rest of the weekend off. Uh, next week, before we get into games returning on Thursday, Carson and myself will be linking up to do uh, uh, an NBA draft preview going over the top uh, prospects in this year's coming NBA draft. I'm going to be doing a lot of film study over the course of this weekend on those players prepping for that. I just think here at the All-Star Breaks, a good chance, a good opportunity uh, for us to dive into that. And then we'll probably have one other video before Thursday where we just kind of do one last final kind of like zoom out, look at all of our contender tiers 
before we go into the stretch run. Um, all right. Thanks. Thanks so much for supporting the show, guys. I'll see you tomorrow. The volume. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.